0: So, uh, yes, we'll get to the, we'll get to the milk toast, milk toast gate, toast gate, yeah, whatever. Uh, we will get to that. Um, also the, uh, some of the stuff on the, the Dodgers, but I want to start with the debt ceiling because I've had some time now to uh, go over some of the details of the deal. And uh, like most things, there are multiple angles by which to view the debt deal. And I can see I'm sympathetic to various arguments, both pro and con. I I have reached out to Congress members to get them on the program. Uh, they are busy making the rounds on the national circuit. That's one of the prices you pay with having uh, state uh, or uh, uh, Congress members and representatives that are, uh, you know, in demand. Patrick McHenry, his schedule is crazy, and. Uh, Dan Bishop, we've asked as well, his schedule is crazy. And so uh, we're trying to get him on. I've got some audio from others, though, and I've been able to read their comments. I've watched their interviews, you know, on other outlets. I saw, for example, Sean Hannity did an interview with both Dan Bishop and Newt Gingrich. I read from Newt Gingrich's piece that was published yesterday at the, uh, where was it, at Fox News. And Gingrich is in support of this of the debt deal. The more I hear about the debt deal, the more I start wondering what exactly were the wins for the Republicans. But I also did not have high expectations for Republicans to actually get any wins in a debt negotiation, a a debt ceiling negotiation, mainly because it's Republicans doing the negotiating. They're just not very good at it. (laughs) But I mean, the other is that they don't control the White House or the Senate. And I don't know, does that make me what, anything other than a realist that you're not going to be able to get the Democrats to go along with it? They because here's the thing. They what the what the Republicans believe is their leverage is right to, to push us to the brink of default, right? That's the leverage. Because right, there are two ways to do the the spending and the the budgeting in DC. That's it. Right. We've gone over this, the the regular order where you have appropriations bills and they run through the committee process and people get to argue over all of the line items and the programs and then they get up for go up for full votes and you have a dozen of those appropriations bills. But about a decade ago, they scrapped that system because it was, you know, there's a lot of work. I mean, come on, man, I got I got I got fundraisers to go to, I got donors to call, right? So they they sort of offloaded all of that, and they're like, hey, we're just going to take this continuing budget, and this is baseline budgeting. This is the problem with baseline budgeting um, versus a zero-based approach, right? The baseline says, what did you spend last year? All right, take that, and now we add a 1% or 2% increase, right? That's it and just assume that whatever you spent last year was the correct number and we move forward with it this is the problem with baseline budgeting is that it it it's more difficult to restrain the growth but what happens then is you end up with the frankenstein of the omnibus right uh, where you say let's take all of the bills stuff them all together do all of this unrelated stuff too throw everything into the omnibus make it you know, a 6,000-page bill, and they say, read the bill, and I don't want to read the bill. And no one reads the bills, and they just pass it because it's a must-pass bill. Oh, my gosh, the government's going to shut down. Yeah, well, you guys put the deadline, and then you didn't do the work. And so now you're on the deadline. And so now you're like, oh, we have to pass the whole big thing. And this is a problem. This has been a problem for years. And so what the House Freedom Caucus has been trying to do and what the part of the big fight was right when they were uh, blocking McCarthy from becoming the speaker. This was the whole point was that there is a desire to return to regular order. And it is quite obvious that most of the people in the House are not interested in doing that. That's what this tells me now. I am open to be persuaded otherwise. Let's see. And part of this deal ostensibly puts us on a path to appropriations bills. Although there are a whole bunch of escape hatches that make me worried that that's actually not going to be the case. But I'll get into that. All right, so you have this so you have this these two ways to to do the spending, right? One is this continuing resolution method which we have been running under for years and years and years and it's just been uh, it's been helping to foster just runaway spending and then there was the old method which was the appropriations method although you know truth be told some downsides to that was uh, the the pork barrel projects the pork spending right people would lard up the uh, the different committee bills the the 12 bills they would lard them all up with all of the stuff for the districts and That was how stuff got done. That's how you you bought the votes, you know, one committee at a time, basically. So I guess I was not under any kind of grand illusion that uh, the Republicans were going to extract a whole bunch of concessions out of the Democrat Senate because the Republicans would be counting on the Democrats to want to avoid default. And I just don't think they would. I don't. I think they would have welcomed the opportunity to blame the Republicans for uh, defaulting on the, the debt, which, by the way, would not have actually occurred immediately. It takes a, it, it, it takes more that people are like, oh, my God, it's going to be a catastrophe if we don't do this by, you know, three days from right now. Busy, busy, busy. It's not really how that works, but. Not an expert on the matter, but from what I have been able to decipher from the experts on the matter, uh, there it's it's not quite that deadline. You could still there are things that you could do to keep spending. You turn things off, and then of course you get the whole theater that would erupt afterwards. Remember with uh, remember when we did this with Obama. Remember the shutdown, and this is by the way PTSD. There's an element of PTSD among a lot of Republicans because the democrats and the media but i repeat myself they so sullied the republicans with that government shutdown a decade ago that they're they're afraid to do anything like it again and that government shutdown you'll recall led to the blocking off of sidewalks not kidding they literally blocked a sidewalk they they put cones up along a shoulder of a road so you could not pull over And take pictures of Mount Rushmore. That's what Obama's National Park Service did. So, you know, all the people who think that his biggest scandal was a tan suit. That whole lie, that was never a scandal. The only people who tried to make it into a scandal were the left. They were the ones talking about the tan suit. The people on the right didn't care about the tan suit. Never once did we ever have a conversation about Obama's tan suit. All of a sudden, we just started hearing people commenting about, oh, these right-wingers are upset because he's wearing a tan suit. And all the right-wingers are like, what are they talking about? Tan suit? What? Didn't even notice it. No, they were more interested in things like the IRS and Fast and Furious and that sort of stuff. But, yeah, the government shut down. And they, they weaponized the shutdowns. Remember they closed the World War II memorial? Remember that? They had opened up a World War II memorial, you know, right, yeah, yeah, fifty years after the fact. But they finally got around to doing that. They opened up the World War II memorial. And then they started uh, people started running the honor flights to take these World War II vets before they died to take them to see their memorial in Washington, D.C. And then the then the uh, the government shutdown happens, and and what does the what does the Obama administration do? they go out and spend money that they don't have cuz remember the government supposedly shut down but they went out and got a whole bunch of these um metal gates, the barriers and stuff and they they erected this barrier along the sidewalk so you couldn't get into an open air memorial. It's an it's like it is basically a sidewalk. It is a sidewalk, right? That's like like area, it's like concrete area with some monuments around it. It's basically an extension of the sidewalk. But they closed it off when these World War II vets arrived, which of course I mean, these guys stormed the beaches of Normandy. You think your gates are going to keep them out? No, they did it. So they stormed the gates, right? Took <laughs> they yeah, knocked out another repressive government. So yeah, they uh, they went in. But this is the way the government weaponized the shutdown against people. So this is what the Republicans are trying to avoid. Democrats know this. So what's the leverage here? What's the leverage that Republicans have to extract? greater concessions out of the democrats because they're totally fine with us going over the line because they know they will benefit or at least they will be harmed less than the republicans and you only get to that position when you have allies in the media that's it and they know this that's why i call it the big d shield it lets you get away with lots of stuff it really does Radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply, will you be ready when the lights go out? Let's get on over to the phone lines now and get Travis on. Hello, Travis. Welcome to the program. How are you?
1: Hey, B. you hey. actually got to my point while I was standing on deck still taking practice swings, <laughs> which, for those in Rio Linda, means uh, I was on hold. <laughs> uh, what was we, your
0: point? I'm sorry. The
1: Republican circles love to make fun of the media for calling themselves the fourth estate. The perfect example is uh, a podcast I love to listen to. It's my favorite podcast, the uh, Washington Post. Where democracy dies, as we push it down the stairs. Right? We love to mock this uh, importance they give themselves, Mm -hmm. but they really are important. I mean, here Mm -hmm. we're talking about negotiations in Congress, where um, uh, the what would he call that? The the peace that you have that uh, allows for negotiations is hindered or warped. By, uh, by the involvement of the media.
0: Correct. This is one, and this is why when I talk about media being uh, actors on the stage, they are participants in the arena, and they pretend that they are not. Simply focusing the public's attention on a story or uh, ignoring a particular story or part of a story uh, or, you know, misinterpreting or, or misframing it, right? All of that has an impact on the uh, the end result, on the story itself. And so they are already participants, particularly in the political arena, and they pretend that they are not. And so, yes, the, the outcomes of a negotiation are shaped by what the politicians believe are going to be the perceptions that the American people have.
1: Right. I have nothing to add for it. You got there while I was waiting. So thanks for talking to me,
0: Pete. All right, buddy. I appreciate it, Travis. Thanks for the call. Um yeah, I mean this is this is part of the dance. Right? It's it's all part and parcel. Um I got a message here. It's a Pete tweet from MAGA, American Pitbull. It says, Pete, I was there in DC when the barriers to the World War II Memorial were taken down. My father earned that memorial, as did the thousands who never came home. Civil disobedience. Good times. Good times. <laughs> it's not, uh, and then Michael says, it's not that they don't know they're hypocrites. It's that they just don't care. Okay. All right, so, like, I understand Dan Bishop, House Freedom Caucus members, the, uh, the quote-unquote, the far-right Republicans, I understand their criticisms of not getting really much of anything, but I also didn't expect them to get much of anything because you're not negotiating against uh, you're not negotiating against the, the Democrats in the House you're negotiating against the majority. Democrats in the Senate and the White House, and they're going to be able to block anything. And they know that if they block your bill that you passed in the House and they block the the, the components of that bill, then you get blamed. Now, did McCarthy so – here, so here's the other part of this equation or the flip side is did McCarthy and the negotiators on his team, Patrick McHenry being one of them, did McCarthy – sell this as something it was not in order to get Republican buy-in? And did he come out in a messaging strategy? Did he come out and say, you know, we rolled Joe Biden? Because remember, Joe Biden didn't want to negotiate, but then they dragged him to the negotiation table because he got something past the House, and we went over this yesterday. But now the question becomes one of, uh, did McCarthy try to roll his own members his own freedom caucus members conservatives by telling them that things that were in the bill weren't in the bill and vice versa but also uh was he trying to um was he was he trying to send a message to progressives that they should oppose this deal because there's benefit for the republicans if the progressives oppose the deal too But in the end, I think it's probably still going to pass. All right. Hey, real quick. It is estimated that more than six million Americans have Alzheimer's. It affected my family. My grandpa had it. New research and treatments are showing promise, but there's still a long way to go. So can you help me by supporting the Alzheimer's Association's Western Carolina chapter? The Family Dance Party Charlotte's on June 10th. From 1 o'clock until 5 o'clock, it's at the Roxbury Nightclub in Uptown Charlotte. Go to mix1079.com and get tickets, and come bust a move on the dance floor, or donate tickets to a family that's battling the disease. The Family Dance Party is presented by Jameson Realty. Again, if you can help us out, I appreciate it. Go to mix1079.com, and thank you for considering the request. Oh, he sent this to the wrong. Oh, my gosh. Okay, Jay sent it to the wrong. (laughs) He sent because he's All right, so the last name is spelled K-A-L-I-N-E-R. <laughs> it's like K-Liner, but Calliner. Okay. Uh, if the increase in baseline budgeting was only 1% per year, we would not be in the mess we are in. The increases are more like 6 to 8% annually. That is from Jay, who uh, adds, Lama. So, yes, that's right. This is the penny plan, right? And that is what Thomas Massey, Congressman Massey, cites as the reason why he is going to back this deal. Thomas Massey is on board with the deal. He was actually the deciding vote in the rules committee. And so why would he do that? Well, because it has what he believes to be this mechanism that will knock down 1% off of the funding levels, or it will, only allow for 1% growth. I'm not sure because I'm not an expert on the, on all of the mechanisms that these guys use. Cause a lot of this stuff is just smoke and mirrors. It really is like these predictions, you know, they're always making these predictions on 10 year uh, uh, models. And that's how we got. So here I have the uh, congressional budget office. They put out their assessment they say um, reductions in projected discretionary outlays. So what does that mean? Discretionary means that they have the choice. These are right, these are the things that we opt to pay for. These are not the things that we've already committed to and we have to pay for. So discretionary outlays, reductions there would amount to one point three trillion dollars over a ten year period. Mandatory spending would decrease by ten billion billion that's it so the mandatory is that that's only dropping by ten billion over the next decade so that's 1 billion a year that's it that's in the mandatory spending category which means what you're it that's a decrease of a billion a year that's nothing that's nothing um revenues would on net decrease 2 billion over a 20 uh, over a 10 year period as well that's it 2 billion over 10 years so what's that 2 million dollars no 200 million yeah yeah 200 million sorry math you know it's a love hate thing with me so that's nothing right so like i look at these numbers and i say okay this isn't much of anything these are rounding errors they say interest on the public debt would decline by $188 billion again. That's over a 10 year cycle. So that's $18 billion a year on a $4 trillion budget. Like this. So this is this this is essentially baseline. All right. So what are we getting for it? This is so the debt limit, right? Raising our borrowing capacity, right? That's the idea here. I am opposed to this. I am opposed to the way that, the, that we do it. I am opposed to the amount of money. Look, I'm a fiscal conservative. I am a limited government guy. There is nothing about the D.C. budgeting that I, that, uh, that I find uh, defensible. Uh, like, nothing of it. But I also am accustomed to an entire lifetime of losing the argument. That's been the status quo. You know this, I know this, people of a limited government persuasion. We all know this. We don't we don't get pe- I mean think about it. We come in and we're like, "Hey, I would like to make a promise that if you elect me, I will give you nothing." <laughs> right? That's the that's the sales pitch here. Vote for limited government proponents and and we won't do these things. Meanwhile, you're running against Santa Claus, right? Isn't that what Rush Limbaugh called Obama Claus, remember? It's, a, it's, it's not exactly an attractive sales pitch to make. But we are headed towards catastrophe. We cannot keep spending like this. And at some point, we're going to be right. At some point, people like me who have been making this argument that we are inflating ourselves into economic ruin. And that when you look throughout history, the, the societies that did this to their currency collapsed. And at some point, we'll be right. I don't know when that is, but we will be, because, like, you can ignore these principles, but they will not ignore you. The uh, speaker, Kevin McCarthy, wrote in a Wall Street Journal op-ed, quote, no other debt limit increase in the past decade has reduced overall spending, reduced non-defense spending, and reduce the deficit. The Fiscal Responsibility Act is true, transformative spending reform. The main feature of the debt ceiling deal for those looking to cut spending is that the bill cuts non-defense discretionary spending next year, and it only allows a one percent increase for the next six years. But the criticism here is that you will be allowed; they will be allowed to raise the um, the debt ceiling automatically. For, was it six years now? And in cases like this, I always find it interesting and instructive to go to uh, some lefty publications and see what they're saying about it. Because on the right, you're getting two arguments. This is, you know, not conservative or this is the best deal we can get. What about on the left? What are they saying? David Diane or Dayan. American prospect, executive editor, worked at The Intercept, New Republic, Huffington Post, Washington Post, L.A. Times. In fact, he wrote a book called Monopolized, Life in the Age of Corporate Power. Okay, So not exactly a right-winger here. Uh, he says uh, this all looks pretty good to him. And he charts out, I'll go over it, he charts out, uh, games it out, how, how this thing could actually play out. What with the the requirements that Congress pass 12 appropriations bills. Congress is famously not good at doing this. The House canceled a bunch of votes on the easiest spending bills last week because they could not find consensus. The point of what's called this auto-CR, continuing resolution, the automatic continuing resolution... Um, is to concentrate minds and get them moving to pass the bills. But if you're a Democrat who talks about how we have a bloated military budget and that rich people get away with murder from an imbalanced tax system, isn't this your big chance? And all you have to do is just not vote for spending bills. Every Democrat who does this makes it that much harder to get those bills passed and that much closer to kicking in the auto CR. He says, if you ask me point blank, I would say, Congress will somehow get those bills done. The military has contractors in practically every congressional district making military pork barrel spending a jobs program for almost all politicians. And the fact that veterans programs would be clobbered too makes this a heavy lift. But to be clear, all that's needed here to trigger the auto CR is congressional incompetence. And that's not exactly out of the realm of possibility. (laughs) Now, Now, maybe Newt Gingrich is correct here. And that this is just the first step and that we get past the next election and that's when you start layering on the changes. You start you start turning this ship because that's what Gingrich says this deal is all about. But the House Freedom Caucus disagrees. I've got some audio. I've got more information. We'll get to your calls. consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. Let's go over here and chat with Dean. Hello, Dean. Welcome to the show. Yes, thank you, Pete. You're welcome. Uh, I I hear all the budget
2: talk and everything. I agree with you totally that once you spend so much, you know, you you can't get back above water and this will lead to the destruction of the country.
0: Right, well, it's the inflating. It's not a matter of just spending. It's the inflation of the currency. It's the devaluing of the currency.
2: Yes, exactly. So how does that, with that inflation, how does that factor into the fact that the one caveat is a country can print money?
0: Well, that's what I'm talking about.
2: Well, is it is it just extending it, or is it accelerating it the demise? Or you know, because yes. it's been going on for ever since they took us off the gold standard. Correct. And we've seemingly gotten away with it every year. We say we're not going to get away with it.
0: Right. Except now you see the pace is accelerating. Right. Because like because the what happens is the politicians make promises. The people then support the politicians that make them those promises. And then they, they issue the approval to print the debt, right? That's the idea. And so they don't ever have to... This is, yes, you are printing the dollars. You are, you're, you're inflating currency by printing the dollars, which devalues the dollars. There's too many of them. That's the problem. And when you do that for too long, when you inflate the currency by printing too much of it, in order to make, spend on all of these programs and such, eventually it collapses. And the only reason it hasn't for us, I would submit, is because we're the world reserve currency right now. But at some point, other nations are going to say, you know what? Your your currency is garbage, and they're going to create their own currency, and we're already starting to see it happen. And once that occurs, the effects of that are going to be catastrophic.
2: Uh, I think. I, I, is that that brick or whatever it is that China is starting to... The- mm-hmm. Create currency and make trade with that, yep. and take it off of the dollar standard. Right? Won't they just adjust for each other?
0: Won't won't who just adjust? Won't the,
2: the whatever the standard is the, the Chinese is now adjusting to the dollar standard? They
0: don't have to deal with us anymore. They don't have to trade in our dollars anymore. They don't have they, they don't have to. They can keep the, They can trade all amongst themselves. And we're not part of that action anymore. Oh, and, okay, and last
2: question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We have all the resources on. We do have all of these basic, you know, um, as far as food sources and energy sources. I mean, unless they take that away, is is that our race in the hole?
0: If we use them. I mean, they
2: have to depend on us.
0: I, I mean, look, you, I don't control the policy here, Dean, so I would very much like to say, yes, we could be energy independent, but... There's a there's a, a a large chunk of our population that is not on board with that concept. They think energy independence is not going to uh, is not going to be delivered in any way except for solar and wind. And I just fundamentally disagree with them at that point. And I say that as one who has solar panels on the house. Uh, nuclear is what creates. The most amount of energy, the cheapest cost for the most amount of people. That is energy and uh, that is energy security, to me. Um,
2: how uh, wind? I mean, Washington's been running on wind forever.
0: What, Washington, D.C.? No, Washington, D.C., higher wind. Uh, sorry. I'm, you know. Dean, how many times do I have to tell you, please, leave the comedy to the professionals? Okay. All right, Hello. buddy. I appreciate the call. All right, thank you. <laughs> That's what I thought I said. Did I not say Washington, D.C.? I thought I said D.C. Hey, yeah. Oh, my goodness. All right. I do have audio. I've got audio. Dan Bishop, Byron Donald. Uh, Donald's rather. Um, Oh, and yeah, some other clip from Corinne uh, Jean-Pierre, who very clearly likes to speak clearly, even when she's not being clear.